It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, March 8th, and I am Tony Bernetti from Feds, Federal Employee Defense Services. And my co-host today is Natalia Castro from Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Good morning, Natalia. Good morning, Tony. Happy to be here. And this is Natalia's first time on the co-hosting on the show, so welcome. Thank you, thank you. We've got big plans for you today. <laughs> Great, I'm excited. <laughs> but we do have a really exciting show. It's, it's tax season, as we all know. So this is our annual Fed Talks tax show. Say that like three or four times, you know, in, in a row. Um, but we are delighted to have two guests in studio with us to talk tax. Uh, so first, let me introduce my good friend, Tom Berger. Tom is the executive director of the Professional Managers Association, or PMA. And PMA is the professional association that represents the interest of IRS managers. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Natalia. Thanks for having me. And don't worry, we'll we'll still get you that free lunch we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm not with the IRS anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, next we have our we have our heavy lifter. You know, here we got we have Ed Carl, who is the vice president of taxation at the American Institute of CPAs. Good morning, Ed, and welcome to the show. Good morning. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah, and thanks so much. Because I know obviously this is your this is your busy time. I mean, my. My accountant won't even return my phone calls. So, <laughs> so for you to come in here, we, we, we really appreciate that. Um, so before we talk tax, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to you by Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored federal long-term care insurance program. So if you want need more information about long-term care for federal employees, go to www.ltcfeds.com. That's LTC feds.com. Uh, so I want to start today's show, um, you know, later on, you know, in the next segment, we'll get more into all the meaty tax stuff, but I want to at least uh, talk a little bit about both of your um, organizations. And Tom, let me, let me start with you um, and have you, you know, introduce uh, PMA to our listeners. Okay. PMA is an organization that was started by IRS managers back in 1981. So we've been around quite a while. Uh, it represents the interest of the managers within the IRS. 99.7% of our members are IRS managers. We have a few uh, managers from outside the agency that join, join PMA. But by and large, uh, our representation is all IRS managers. So we have the ability to, uh, when we're speaking with the commissioner and the various division heads, uh, if they've got something coming out, we have the ability to get that message out to our managers quickly and get an immediate response versus the agency that may have to go through a questionnaire or survey, which is some long procedures that, that are um, required before they can do that. So we have a very good relationship with the IRS leadership. Uh, we just met with the HCO on Wednesday um, talking about the, uh, the major initiative they have ongoing now, which is uh, reinvestigations within the IRS of uh, personnel. So they started with managers and non-bargaining unit, and now they're going to be moving to the BUs. Uh, we have a sister organization, Federal Managers Association, and between the two of us, we represent about 50% of the managers within the IRS. And I say represent. We don't have the same ability as unions do. Right. Uh, we're just uh, advocates for their interests. But it's really, you know, it's interesting. I was on your website um, last night. Um, and it's, you know, it's an organization, you know, is founded by IRS managers for IRS managers. And That's I know I introduced you um, as the executive correct. director, you know, but you yourself, you, you know, for a long, long time was, was an IRS manager. That's correct. Uh, I retired in 2010. I was the national president of PMA before I retired and became the executive director. I am actually the only 
non-active uh, federal employee on the board of directors. All other board of directors are managers and uh, current active employees. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, you know, because you're, you know, by, you know, founded by four IRS managers and things like that, um, that I'm always impressed by the access that you do have um, to IRS leadership, um, you know, and, and, you know, I'm not sure a lot of the IRS managers that are considering joining PMA or, you know, not joining PMA, um, realize that, but you're able, you know, to get a meeting with the commissioner, you know, the, the executive leadership. That's right. We can pick up the phone and pretty much get in and talk to them. If we've got an issue, a serious issue that's popped up and we have members calling us from around the country, not just a, an individual at sour grapes or whatever the case may be, but if we have individuals around the country all experiencing the same thing, whether it's a, a performance plan issue, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, critical commitments in their performance plan or things like that, uh, we can call up and, and start at the lower level, figure out where this is coming from. If it's the HCO office, we're going to go talk to the HCO versus request a, a, a meeting with the deputy commissioner or the commissioner. But we've had good access up to this point. And that kind of, you know, as somebody who's, you know, lived in this community, you know, has grown up in the federal community with federal associations and things like that, that kind of access is is rare, you know, and, you know, that kind of advocacy, you know, is important. So if you're listening out there and you're an IRS manager, you're not a member of, of PMA, you know, here's my plug, you know, to, to consider it. It's very, not very expensive. How much is it again? Uh, $91 a year, 350 a pay period. 350 a pay period. And to get more information on that, you can go to their website, which is promanager.org, www.promanager.org, or you can simply type in Professional Managers Association in your own personal Google machine, and it will come up. That's good. That's correct. <laughs> so, Ed, let's, um, let's talk about your organization, um, American Institute of CPAs. Can you introduce that to our listeners, please? I'd be happy to. So, AICPA is the world's largest professional association representing the accounting uh, profession. Uh, we have about 420,000 members in about 140 countries. Um, and we've had a history of serving the public interest since 1887. Our, our members, I, I mentioned 420,000 members, uh, CPAs, who work with individuals, not-for-profits, small and medium-sized businesses, as well as some of the uh, world's largest companies as well. We provide financial planning services for the individuals. We provide all sorts of planning services for the businesses, as well as the compliance work when you talk about busy season, what's going on right now. You know, and as I was on your your website last night preparing for the show, you know, it's, you know, we were joking before we started the show because, you know, I'm the lawyer, full disclosure, and, you know, I was, I was joking. I was looking for CPA jokes <laughs> online and I, I couldn't find them. But, you know, I essentially, as, you know, in my world, I think of the American Bar Association and ABA, how it sets sort of the standards you know, the, the, the general standards across the board um, for lawyers, you know, even though it's regulated each, you know, each jurisdiction across the country, you know, I very much, you know, see AICPA is the same thing for, for CPAs. What can you tell us sort of about, you know, how they're involved in sort of establishing the standards by which, you know, CPAs should go by? Right. So that's an important uh, issue. Um, and in surveys that are conducted, CPAs, are at at the top of that group in the surveys of most trusted professionals. Uh, part of the reason for that is a code of conduct that we have uh, that applies to all CPAs who are our, our members. Uh, if they're not our members, then there's a board of accountancy in each state that licenses CPA. So the majority of the boards of accountancy have adopted our code of conduct as their code of conduct. And when you want to talk about uh, tax specifically, so we have a specific uh, set of rules called the Statements on Standards for Tax Services that apply to CPAs who do tax work. Right. I saw, I was reading on there, they, got, they have a whole tax team, which I'm sure you're ahead of. 
I am the head of, <laughs> the, head of the head of the tax team. Did it got jerseys and stuff? <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> well, and I noticed that you guys do so much. Uh, like whenever there's a change in the tax law, I know we're going to talk later on a little bit more about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. But you guys have like an e-newsletter where you really work on informing CPAs about what's going on within the IRS and across the federal government. So we collaborate with the IRS all the time. Um, important partners, obviously, uh, the IRS is an important part of the tax system in the U.S., uh, critical to everybody. But we have two aspects in the AICPA. So the part that I work directly with, uh, basically, uh, we're, we do advocacy and policy work. So when there is something that we identify is not working as well as it should, we intercede and try to get it to work better. We have a heavy focus on tax administration, which is based on the experiences of all of our members, a diverse membership throughout the country and basically throughout the world. So we apply their experiences working with the tax system to try to make things work right. We also have another uh, group of people in the AICPA who work with our membership. So while there is a problem, they assist them uh, in making sure that they can uh, properly practice and help them through some of the bumps in the road. Yeah, and I'm certain you know most all CPAs know know about it. There's a lot going on in their website, and I would encourage you if um, out there listening your CPA to check it out. It's aicpa.org, aicpa.org. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. We'll continue our discussion with Tom Berger and Ed Carl about tax season after this break and a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. talk on federal news network 1500 am we are just diving into the ins and outs of tax season and what that means for you guys so uh, a lot goes on behind the scenes i know the average american probably is dealing right now with filing their taxes but as far as the irs goes and for cpas there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes that people might not know about so i just wanted to kick it off by asking you guys how's the season going Uh, what are your kind of first thoughts right now we're about a little past midway through tax season. So how are we feeling so far about how the season's going? Well, let me kick it off. Uh, first, let me say that, you know, uh, the views expressed by me are my views and not necessarily those of the IRS. But uh, overall, I think the filing season is going well considering the shutdown came at the worst possible time. The December-January time frame is when the IRS begins to Uh, the training of all the seasonal employees we bring in for the filing season. I mean, currently the IRS has, you know, some 60,000 plus or minus employees. And with filing season, we bring in another, uh, they bring in another 10,000 or so who need to be trained in the new tax law, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, In addition, any new employees need to be trained in the ways of the IRS. There are other uh, issues that they need to be trained in and the procedures for the IRS. The filing season started a little later this year. It was late last year, but in prior years, it started earlier, January 20th or something. And I think in the last two years, uh, due to tax law changes and other things, it started later. Uh, In some cases, that allowed us additional time for training. Uh, This particular year, that was not the case, and everybody's been trying to play catch-up. Yeah, I know that that shutdown really kind of had a big impact, especially because for those months, you had almost 90% of the IRS not working and then having to train everyone and get everyone ready. And I know that that also had a big impact for CPAs because you guys also need to do a lot of training. So, Ed, is there anything you can speak to as far as starting off the season coming out of a shutdown? Well, the, the shutdown doesn't specifically impact uh, CPAs. They They have no problem with continuing with their training. They start that uh, late in the year. So when you go into November, sometimes December, and even into January before filing season begins, they have all of their uh, training undertaken. And again, by, by license, they're required to have a significant amount of continuing education. 
Um, I, I am impressed with the IRS from the perspective that I've seen over years of dealing with filing season and, um, if you will, a sort of mass production, uh, 150 million returns coming in and their ability to process that with uh, relatively few problems. But I will say, uh, and you mentioned, Tony, at the beginning that uh, you appreciated me coming in during busy season. So I don't specifically have a busy season. I'm not a practicing CPA. Right. I'm a CPA. But our members, as I speak to them, and I've spoken to quite a few of them, so anecdotally, um, they're saying it's the worst filing season they've ever experienced. And is that just because, you know, maybe, I mean, I think the, the shutdown, while well, you say it probably didn't impact, you know, the, the training and the CPAs, I mean, there were pre-existing stuff in the system, like audits and things like that that were going on that I think came to a halt. You know, I know that there are e-service issues that that that, that were that were were going on, and then you have the new tax law, right? And and I think all that together has got to right. So it's primarily the new tax law. So the, the tax reform act that passed at the end of 2017, 2018 was the first year of implementing uh, the vast majority of the changes from that tax reform act. And now the filing season that we're in now is the first filing season of trying to deal with all of those changes. Uh, understanding the rules is a problem. A lot of the guidance was coming out late. IRS put in all the work that they possibly could throughout 2018, but there were so many changes. There were uh, a, a number of areas that required quite a bit of guidance. There were areas that were brand new. Uh, people needed to understand how, th how they would work. And so what I'm hearing from people, it, a, a lot of software problems. So the right. software developers and the, those companies have to take the guidance that IRS puts out and interpret that and implement that into their software. And that has been a big problem for CPAs. You know, I think about that and because and, so much, so much is, you know, you're relying on the software. We want to we utilize technology because it, it, obviously it helps, you know, do things better, more efficiently, and you know, all that stuff. And I was just sort of thinking about that when you have something, you know, so new, you know, and it's changed, it's, it's fluid, right? It's evolving, it's moving, and you gotta, we gotta get it to the software engineers, you gotta get it built in. And, and I just sort of, knowing government the way I have over 25 years and knowing things, I mean, I mean, how are we not, you know, having potential mistakes and things? Well, let me just bring up a couple of points. Uh, the, the 217, Jobs Act required 119 provisions that needed to be implemented, had over 500 tax products with regards to forms and, and, and publications that we issue, and 57 tax systems that had to be changed. And I think as Ed would agree, I mean, those, those were monumental changes when the IRS, in fact, had a 19% drop in staffing and then on top of that, as we got to the filing season, we end up with a shutdown that went extended 35 days when people were finishing up the last right. you know, parts, as Ed said, the last parts of the, all of the changes that were being made. So, you know, it's, it's incredible to me that they're still functioning and the filing season's going as well as it is, even though there are uh, numbers that indicate the filings are down, the refunds are down, which I think we'll get into a little bit later as to some of the causes of that. But, but so Ed, let me ask you to, you know, expand a little bit when you say you're hearing from your, your, your colleagues in the community, the CPAs are saying it's, the, I think you used the word worst, worst ever. Um, you know, it's one thing, it's busy, it's busiest ever, you know, I wonder if you could just, you know, expand upon that, you know, when they say the worst ever, that it just, is there anxiety associated with it? Do they lack confidence in what they're interpreting and how they're delivering, you know, to their customers? Well, there's a, a I think a lot of extra work that goes in, into work. understanding uh, the rules. So when you talk about training, they normally uh, go through a, a lot of training, but there are particular rules. Um, so there's a there was a new business. Uh, deduction that came out of the Tax Reform Act. And it's quite complicated, and there are different thresholds and understanding the different definitions, and that required 
hundreds of pages of regulations to explain, and not all of those regulations have been finalized. So we're into the first year of uh, trying to interpret when we don't have all of the answers just yet. And so uh, like professionals are trying to make the best determinations that they can. No, yeah, it's hard. I mean, they were just having, like, we were talking a little about the Section 199A deduction before we went on air, you know, but it it's just five, six months ago, they were taking public comment on the final rule still. And yeah. we, sp we spent a lot of time commenting and testifying at the uh, public hearings, and that's a lot of what we do. But then you have to get the IRS to uh, modify the regulations and, and and for them to understand the comments that they're getting and implement that into the final rules. That's still That process is still right. moving forward. So now we're today, March 22nd, so we're after the March 15th deadline for two significant types of tax return. So one is the 1120S, which is the S corporation return and the form 1065, the partnership return. Those are what we call pass-through entities right. so that individuals actually pay the tax for those entities. That Those are two significant forms that have to pass through this deduction that you're talking about, the 199A. And I have to think that you're seeing a massive increase in extensions filed with the pass-through entities because they don't know what to do with that issue yet. That's exactly right. So we're I'm hearing about extensions, a uh, substantial number of extensions for those two types of entities. And what that means is come April 15th, there will be a substantial number of uh, extensions for individual returns. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I so, think this communication path is really interesting because you have CPAs who are, you know, working with the IRS trying to understand what they need to tell their clients, the IRS trying to learn so that they can improve this for years future. And Tom, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, in your history, you've worked both in the IRS in Washington, D.C., and you've also worked at field offices all over the country. I know you've been in a few different states. How do you think kind of communicating all of these, you know, little minutiae that goes with each regulation and how was how working this out kind of filtered from D.C. into the field offices? And can you speak a little bit to what the difference in these field offices than what you would maybe see in D.C.? Well, again, disclaimer, not necessarily the views of the IRS, but as an IRS compliance person who worked in the field as a revenue agent for uh, some 25 years before I came up to D.C., uh, or 20 years before I came up to D.C., you could you see the rules that are issued by Washington from headquarters that the agents would have to follow. Uh, I did that tour duty first, so to speak, and then I came to Washington. So I think I had a better perspective uh, as we were going through and trying to change something. You know, when I was working with the various groups, uh, CPAs, American Bar Association, uh, American Payroll Association, they would say something like, uh, you know, changing a, a line on a Form 1099. We said, oh, we only just changed the line on a 1099. And I, I almost got crucified at a meeting because they said, you realize what we have to do to reprogram just one line. So it gives you a better perspective of how the rules uh, that you issue and you think you're just issuing a very simple rule on, and I'll use 199A, uh, it's very complex. And usually in each, in the IRS, each code section would be assigned to an attorney. So an attorney's working that, and they're the ones that have the final sign-off authority, as you know, Ed was talking about. You do these uh, town hall meetings and you get input from these people and then you got to come back and digest all of that stuff and then figure out what we can do to appease or meet the needs of the taxpaying community or the practitioners. And uh, it's, it's slow going. Yeah, I can imagine. That's really interesting. Um, I think one of the things Tony said earlier about how, you know, IRS employees are people too. And we talk a lot about like this big tax law. And I, I can imagine just the employees all over the country, really, because it's not just in D.C. that are trying to grasp everything and make this the smoothest season possible. But like if we're like just a normal tax season, you know, how does it work as far as, you know, when you're busy, when you're not busy? I realize you're busy the whole tax season if you're a CPA. But is there like an initial big rush with a lot of people who think they're getting refunds and then there's a lull and then there's the big finish? Is well, that it, it'll depend on the type of work you do. So you'll yeah. have the initial January 31st deadline for uh, the majority of the 
1099 information returns and the W-2 wage statements. So those are uh, due at, at January 31st. And, and then there are some uh, returns, uh, those information returns due in February. Um, March 15th is a big deadline. I mentioned that before for the partnership returns and the uh, S-corporation returns are due March 15th. And then when you get to April 15th, and there are um, quite a few extensions that are always filed. Right. Uh, this year, which is an unusual year, I, I expect that there would be, as we spoke a, a moment ago, a substantial increase in the extensions. Before you can file those extensions, though, you have to do some kind of an estimate of uh, any tax that might do be due because you can extend the due date for that return, but you can't extend the due date for the payment of the tax. I can't get a free loan? No, you can't. Oh, no. Well, well I think well, we can work something out for you, but not, not, not the other 150 million taxpayers. Well, it's just, Natalia, it's just interesting. You talk about all these changes and it's coming up, you know, towards the end of the year and the IRS is just getting their rules out. They got to get the information out to the people that are going to train the CPAs, get it all in. And I just, it just seems knowing government the way I do, you know, it just seems very um, overwhelming. Um, From an IRS perspective, the president's weekend is a big filing weekend. Yeah. And then this weekend, you know, it's coming up towards the end of April the middle of April and the, the last week is going to be a big push. Yeah. So we're going to stop here for our second break. We'll continue our discussion after this break and a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. I am Natalia, sitting down with Tony, and we have Ed Carl and Tom Berger, and they're joining us today for our tax season show. So we're going to jump right in. We have talked a little bit about all the extensions uh, that are going on and, uh, you know, people kind of the mad dash to get the filing season underway. And one thing I was really curious about is legislation that is currently sitting in Congress about extending the filing deadline to May 20th. And this has come up because of the shutdown and things like that. So I'm really curious from the people who it would really affect whether or not they think that would be helpful Uh, So we can, whoever wants to grab this question, go right ahead. Well, I I think it's an interesting question. Um, I've spoken to a lot of CPAs and even state CPA societies about this legislation. So the the last time I looked uh, two days ago, the the actual legislative language hadn't been released. So there's a big question there. This legislation would extend – the due date of the return by five weeks. Well, we just spoke a moment ago about the the, uh, payment of the tax, and that's a big, big question. So if this legislation doesn't extend the payment of the tax, then professionals are going to have to go through a lot of work around April 15th to estimate how much tax might be due. And and so that five-week extension really won't help too much. There are other issues as well, um, state returns. So there's a question of uh, what are you going to do about state returns? There, I don't remember the exact number, but seven or eight states such as Texas or Florida that don't have state uh, individual taxes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so they're okay, but the, the vast majority of the country 
uh, taxpayers have to file a state return. So they're going to have to go through the calculations and the motion anyway. So that legislation, although intended to do the right thing, really won't offer too much help. It's just, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's classic that the question came from a millennial. which i love doing i'm just kidding but it's just you're postponing the work right Mm -hmm. and i hear what i think i hear you saying is the work's got to have to get done no matter what we're postponing the work and we're actually probably just creating more work well i spoke to yeah i spoke to one cpa yesterday and i said have you heard of this legislation that would extend filing season by five weeks and he goes no I said, you haven't heard of the legislation? He says, no. Uh, oh, yeah, I've heard of the legislation. The no wasn't about the legislation. I, I don't want it. Do not do not extend filing season. He, he should have the no button on my desk that my daughter bought me. It just says no is like 15 different ways. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think the, the, the opinion would be of IRS employees? Well, I, think, I think within the IRS, uh, again, my opinion, there would be people on both sides of the fence, but uh, whether inside or outside, practitioner or taxpayer, uh, Ed's absolutely correct. I mean, you can get an extension to file the, the return, but you must do a calculation to uh, pay the S what you think the tax is going to be. Uh, and without that, uh, as Ed said, uh, they're going to be doing double work. Um, the bottom line, it's a, it's a legal issue. Congress changed the extent, the filing of the tax returns dates several times. Uh, the latest one back in 1955. So if they want to do it again, there are other things besides the filing of the return. And I'm not uh, advocating one way or another, but penalties and interest that are tied to the return. And as Ed said earlier, uh, there's a number of information returns that I know from working cases that you were constantly looking to see where the partnership or the 1120S uh, K-1s were, and usually they were on extension. So it was difficult to do audits from examinations from that that perspective. Yeah, I think it's very typical Congress to have a really well-intentioned plan. We'll give everyone more time. And, you know, there's obviously a lot more that goes into it that a lot of people forget about. I mean, what what do I know about anything? But um, it's it's and I mean that. But it's just it's more process. And we're dealing with the bureaucracy um, as large as the IRS, you know, and there's more filings, more process. There's just more chances for mistakes. I'm reminded of one time I, right after I filed my taxes one year, I immediately got a corrected 1099, you know, in the mail. And so I was like, I was trying to be proactive. So I filed my amended return right away. And what happened was, is my amended return got processed before my regular return got processed. And it, took me years to sort this out. Um, so I just think the last... I have know. a similar situation this year. Filed my tax return early February and then came back from vacation in, in late February and found a, uh, a document on an investment my wife had made with interest and dividends and uh, capital gains. And I had to immediately file a uh, amended return as well. Yeah, I thought it was funny uh, when Ed was saying how different states have all these different rules. I'm a Floridian. I'm a Florida girl. And for years, I thought filing my taxes was the easiest thing in the world. I only had to worry about federal. And then when I moved up to Virginia, everything changed. And I was very confused by all the, you know, all the, the new state stuff I had to start working out. So I didn't even think about that, thinking about extending the federal deadline what does that mean for all the states who have those issues? Well, particularly Virginia. Virginia is a piggyback state. They piggyback off the federal government. And there are other states throughout the country that do the same thing. So all of those would have to change as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so before I came to AICPA, it was in practice. And I can tell you that there are a lot of CPAs who have already made their vacation plans a- after April 15th. <laughs> and, and if they find out their cruise is going to be canceled because – there's of a lot extension. of Sandals resorts that are going to be empty. <laughs> so right. Of... There'll be uh, other legislation um, advocated by Sandals, exactly. But let me ask you, and I hope this, Ed, this is not putting you on the spot um, at all, so you can you can punt if you want to. But what is the sort of general mood in, in your CPA community with kind of their interactions with the IRS professionals, um, you know, and how – they view them in the past, maybe versus, you know, this tax season. 
Uh, I, I would say in general, uh, we've heard a, a lot of issues come up. So uh, certainly in small communities, it, it's critical. That relationship between the CPA and, and the IRS agents because they're working together uh, on numerous clients. Mm -hmm. So CPAs want to have a, a really good working relationship. They want to have well-trained agents that uh, they can uh, resolve issues with clients as expeditiously as possible. Uh, I could say over the last number of years, there has been a degradation of service levels that uh, everyone acknowledges. Um, we, we work closely with uh, former Commissioner Koskinen, um, who was the, the immediate preceding commissioner, and he acknowledged very publicly that the service levels at the IRS were not where they wanted them to be. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that goes, and Tom, I'll let you weigh in here, but I think, you know, I think that goes both ways. You know, I think when you've got, you know, you know, an IRS service professional that's top notch, you have, you know, a CPA that's top notch. It just, you know, leads to better processing. I mean, obviously they both have interests, you know, that they're, they're trying to further. You know, a for their client, one for for the service, um, but it's in my experience that it just it leads you know for for better overall. Well, I can speak I can speak from from a field experience. Right. I mean, you know, we work with the CPAs, and and obviously one of the things we tried to do was resolve the cases as quickly and as expeditiously as possible. I was a, a revenue agent. My my leanings were to go in and look for the large and unusual items. I wasn't a T&E and out by three as uh, some of them are known as. But then again, I was dealing in tax shelters. So these were these were big, big dollar cases. Um, but I think th the issue that you're both getting to is the degradation is as, as a result of the budget and the tremendous loss of experienced staff. I'd heard a statistic a couple of weeks ago that in our IT department, where we desperately need people to help modernize the IRS, we had lost 29 key technical people during the shutdown yeah. who just didn't want to stay and not know when their next paycheck was coming in. And you can't operate that way. I mean, as an agency, the IRS should probably be multi-year funded so that they could start a project and know that the money's coming in next year to finish a project, particularly in the IT area where processing of so many tax returns uh, and the protection oh, of the taxpayer data. That. They're supposed to, the IRS is supposed to have that tier funding, you know, the tier one through three, if it's tier one, it's a multi-year right. funding was supposed to, you know, alleviate, you know, that, that concern. But, you know, in the constant, you know, if they fence the money and it's fenced and it has to be used for that, that's, that's one thing. If it comes in in the general budget, you know, like right. this year, it's 11.42. Right. Uh, and it's not fenced, then it gets juggled around it's to a, an appropriations nightmare. Right. Um, exactly. You know, but what you touched upon is, you know, is a problem throughout government. You know, and obviously it affects um, two things there. You mentioned, you know, struck me as one is the human human capital crisis. Right. Your government, you know, can't you know retain and and recruit and keep the best people. And like you said, like the IT people that are very employable. You know, when when the shutdown happened, they're like, you know. No, thank you. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. You know, I tried to, you know, do my government service, but, you know, this is how it works. You know, I'm going to take my, you know, song and dance to the, to, the, to the private sector. But the other thing that needs to change is the government for years was way ahead in technology than the rest of um, industry. And in the last 20 to 30 years, that has shifted. You know, it's the opposite. You know, it's, you know, now government is playing major catch up. Um, you know, because they've had to break down mainframes and like do things differently, um, you know, and there needs to be just a, a new way of, of thinking. Well, and you've got the uh, the people that are out there hacking systems. As soon as you put a new system out to make things easier for, say, the practitioners so that they can get a transcript to verify a client's uh, tax payments or refunds or whatever the case may be, and then somebody figures out a way to hack into that system. So you need to have state-of-the-art uh, technology and the people that understand it so that they can keep that from happening. You know, the, every, the, the United States uh, taxpaying public wants to have faith in the system and know that their information is not going to be hacked. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the security professionals are very, very important. 
you know, I mean, I can think of no other, you know, information, but for our intelligence community where the information should be safeguarded, you know, more, you know, and, and, you know, dedicating funding for that, you know, is, is, is important. We're going to um, stop here for our final break and hear from our sponsor. When we return, we're going to wrap up our discussion about tax season with Tom Berger from PMA and Ed Carl from the American Institute of CPAs. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. We are entering our last segment of the show. And this, I think, is going to end up being one of the most important ones. Not that everything we have been saying is really important. But I think we, we it's time to talk about what the public needs to know. And going into this, you know, the end half of this tax season, what is most important and what's on the people's mind. So, Ed, uh, you know, representing the American Institute of CPAs, why don't you give us a little bit about what are the people's biggest obstacles to filing on time, getting everything done before that April 15th deadline? Well, we spoke a little bit uh, about that before. So when you're talking about the March 15th deadline for partnerships and S-corporations, so there are the K-1 information reports that individuals need. Uh, those are a lot of the clients for CPAs. Um, so about half half the returns have already been filed. Those generally are the simpler returns. They may just have a W-2, maybe a little bit of interest income, and they file the return. Uh, now when we get to the that last half, they start to get more complicated uh, a lot more complicated information returns, the K-1s. Uh, if the K-1s were, or the partnership and the S-corporation returns were extended at March 15th, then the individuals don't have the information they need to file. That obviously uh, won't allow the individuals to file on time uh, by April 15th. E- even if the partnership, for example, continues to work on the return and the individuals get those K-1s just before April 15th, some of those K-1s are very complicated and it's hard to digest that information in time to file an accurate return. So I'll I'll say that getting all of the information in-house is a big barrier. But what do you hear from your your CPAs out there in the community? Because, you know, I interpret Natalia's question more about individuals, right? You know, individuals, you know, not getting their a word I can't say on air, but stuff together, <laughs> in, 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 you know, in time for their tax professional um, to work on. I mean, what do you hear kind of about like, frustration from tax professionals well, I have with heard... their clients, getting them to you know, get their shoebox in here exactly. with all their receipts? And how do they manage that? Right. So that was a problem. It was something we were encouraging CPAs to do during the shutdown was to make sure their clients know that even though there is a government shutdown in Washington, they should still get their information uh, as soon as possible to their preparers so they can start working on the returns. Uh, We didn't expect that the shutdown would have an impact on the filing season. and In fact, it uh, ended just before the filing season was scheduled to open. So that was one of the issues. Um, So I'm hearing from CPAs that they got a late jump, not because of the shutdown per se, but because some of their clients felt that maybe that would have an impact. They didn't need to work on it so quickly. <laughs> the other issue is is the Tax Reform Act. There were so many changes. Um, in some sense, it made it easier for some taxpayers to file because it expanded the standard deduction amount. Right. So that makes it easier. But unless you know exactly what someone has for their itemized deduction. You can't tell which is better. So they still need to get that information together and send it to to their preparer. 
Mm-hmm. And Ed, one thing I wanted to ask you about, this is a little bit of a niche issue, so I'm not sure um, how much you can speak to it or how much CPAs you've spoken to can speak to it. But me, uh, Tony already outed me as the millennial in the room. <laughs> so I'm really into cryptocurrency and digital currency. And in the last couple of years, that has really blown up. And I'm curious about how that's different than, you know, filing regular income. I've heard that it, you know, almost doesn't count as a currency. It counts more like property. And I'm wondering what that's like. Right. So uh, it, it, it is quite complicated. It explodes almost every day. So the numbers of different types of cryptocurrencies uh, just expand. So people talk about Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is only one type. And it seems like every day there's a new type of uh, cryptocurrency or virtual currency. IRS has ruled, I think that was in 2014, that it, as you're saying, Cryptocurrency should be treated as property, so it's that when, treated as property, right? It's treated as property, so that when you have a transaction, you could have a, a gain. It's a for example, event. right? So if the cryptocurrency increases in value from when you bought it, then you have a taxable event when you you turned it over. All sorts of issues. Now you're saying that people can even buy a cup of coffee with cryptocurrency. So if they buy a cup of coffee with cryptocurrency, and I, I won't make a, any kind of a, a judgment about the cost of a cup of coffee, <laughs> although it, even though it's up. So, so we're encouraging the IRS, for example, to have a de minimis rule so that when you spend a small amount of uh, a virtual currency, even though it's treated as a property, you don't want to have to go through that type of calculation for buying a cup of coffee. Right. So br- br- let's I'm break that down for our listeners as I understand it. So if I can understand it, they can understand it. Let me just say that. So that's a taxable event, right? If you're using your your Bitcoin or whatever to buy Starbucks, you know, using to a, wherever you're shopping for your coffee, you know, get your coffee, that you know, from the IRS's version, is a, ta- is a potential taxable event that needs to be reported. Yes. Yeah. Potentially. Well, uh, yeah, I'd probably go back and see where, you know, where the investment was made and where, you know, how they accumulated the Bitcoin versus if I go to Starbucks and buy a cup of coffee, I mean, that's not a taxable event unless I'm claiming it as a business expense. But I think what, what, what happened this year is the budget, uh, the budget request that we got from the, the president includes some additional resources for Treasury Office of Terrorism and Financial Intelligence and also the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN. And I used to be affiliated with that in one of my old jobs. We used to run the Detroit Computing Center, and they did all of the transactions that uh, somebody came in and bought something and paid $10,000 or more in cash or made a deposit at a bank of $10,000 or withdrew $10,000. Uh, a CTR report would be filed. And that office has gotten some uh, I won't say substantial increase, but it's got an increase in funding. So we may be able to start to see something in that in that regard. Well, I, I just think, I mean, I, I, I mean, if the Bitcoin is converted to a cash alternative and you're using it, I don't know how you, under just general tax law, you know, how you can avoid that it sort of meets the definition that it's got to be realized some way unless there's this de minimis um, exception in there. You know, but there's... You know the IRS has got to you know you know if they haven't already I'm sure they have there's got to be a whole new director or division working on this you know because it's common you know and there's you know a lot of people up to no good that are playing in that sort of pond. Right. So we we submitted um, a long list of uh, ideas that uh, Chief Counsel's office should consider in releasing guidance. They they put out a notice in 2014. Uh, there hasn't been any additional guidance since then. So we, we put out a letter uh, about a year ago with a long list of suggestions for them. Um, but they've been so inundated with tax reform guidance that they're working <laughs> on that they, they really haven't gotten to this yet. Uh, I, I think um, without a doubt that we'll be seeing a lot more guidance coming out from IRS once they get their feet beneath them under uh, with, with regard to tax reform. Tom, you had mentioned a little bit about, uh, you know, the investigative units within the IRS and some of the work that they do. 
I was actually just reading up on some of the schemes <laughs> and the things that the IRS has to deal with related to, uh, you know, fraud. Uh, I just heard about two really crazy cases in North Carolina where you had tax preparer fraud that was you know, almost worth half a million dollars, some phone scams that are going on. What kind of advice could you give to the American people about avoiding these schemes and avoiding kind of fraudulent activity? And they really prey on the elderly. Yes. They do, Yeah. All right, first and foremost, the IRS doesn't call a taxpayer. I'm glad they will you not said that. call the taxpayer and say, This is the IRS and you need to send five thousand dollars and we'd like it in Walmart gift cards and we'll meet you behind the CVS store to collect. Uh, the IRS does not do that. So that's that's first and foremost. Secondly, I guess one of the things I would say, if it sounds too good to be true. It is. It probably is. uh, But there's, uh, I mean, believe it or not, both my wife and I are retired IRS. We get calls and they leave them on the message machine and say, you know, we're from the IRS and uh, there's a summons issued for your arrest if you don't pay us. And I'd like to get on the phone and say, yeah, this is Tom Berger. I really don't want any trouble with the IRS and start to string them along. And then all of a sudden say, oh, by the way, I'm having this call traced. And then (laughs) they suddenly hang up. This is how Tom has fun in retirement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because I think one of the biggest myths I've heard about tax season is that the IRS will call you. Um, I've had a lot of people say that, so I'm I'm glad all of our listeners are very aware that's not going to happen. And I think Ed would agree. I mean, you'll get a notice. The client will get a notice from the IRS saying there's a discrepancy or the CP2000 or whatever the case may be, uh, but you will not get a call demanding payment. While we enter the last few minutes of this show, why don't we hand it over to our guests and you guys can let the people know where they can find you, uh, where they can see your organizations, and take a minute to kind of let you guys do that. Ed, if you want to start us off with AICPA. Well, uh, AICPA, uh, our website, AICPA.org. I can be reached at edward.carl at AICPA hyphen. C-I-M-A dot com. Uh, always happy to uh, hear from people. It, it helps us understand what's going on out in the real world. I thought he was going to give his phone number up. <laughs> and then he made his, his email so complicated that nobody will email him. <laughs> I, I wouldn't kidding. even give my phone number to you, Tony. So that's... <laughs> and as far as you, P- you wouldn't be alone. <laughs> as far as PMA, it's www.promanagers.org. Uh, for our website, and if they wanted to send me an email, uh, took offense to anything I said, uh, it's Berger, P-M-A, B-U-R-G-E-R-P-M-A, at AOL.com. Perfect. Um, and look, I just would like to thank both both of our, our guests, um, and I would encourage, um, you know, if you're an IRS manager, you're not a member of PMA, please check out um, their website. I gotta imagine every CPA, you know, is on your site and, and knows about um, you know, your organization, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty well established. So that's all the time we have today, guys. Thanks so much for, for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And thank all of you for joining us. Fed talk is brought to you by federal employment law firm of Shaw, Bransford and Roth. Have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs>